0: Good morning to you this Thursday morning. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425, if you want to be a part of the program. I want to do a deep dive on the coronavirus this hour, uh, bring you up to speed on what is happening, uh, where the president is on this, where the vice president is on this, uh, the reactions to people, and and what is going on. I want to also bring you up to speed real quick on, uh, there is John Hopkins. Hopkins University has created a uh, dashboard display. What I mean by dashboard display is uh, on your dashboard in your car, for example, you can see how fast you're going. You can see the RPMs. You can see how much fuel you have. Uh, Easy easy visual display. Johns Hopkins has done that now uh, for the coronavirus, COVID-19, with a confirmed cases, total deaths, total recovered, uh, the graphs of them in a heat map uh, where you can see the major uh, cases of this are around the world. As it spreads around the world, uh, just to give you the update right now, according to this dashboard, there are 82,544 confirmed cases, 2,810 deaths, 33,212 people have recovered. There is a report from Japan of one now confirmed person who recovered and had a recovered of the virus. Uh, there have been isolated reports of this that haven't been confirmed. This one is confirmed. Uh, we do not know uh, the, whether or not she had been fully cured or, or what uh, that allowed her to be discharged. But if you want to see the visual information that I've got from Johns Hopkins University, I want to make it easy for you to be able to see this uh, so you can be informed, stay informed, share it with your friends. Text the word data to three three seven seven seven, you don't have to email or anything. You, you won't get an email. All you'll get is a link back to the Johns Hopkins University database. Uh, so text the word data to three three seven seven seven, and I will. You'll immediately get back a link to Johns Hopkins University's website so you can see this visual data for you. I wanna begin in dealing with the president's reaction to this and and the president's response to this to actually begin uh, at CNN and play you two things, one of which just hit the airwaves a few minutes ago uh, and to give you a sense of where the media is going with this. Listen, this is John Avalon and John Berman on CNN.
1: Now more than 82,000 confirmed cases of the coronavirus around the world. It's 2,800 lives lost with at least 60 cases in the United States and climate. But as this escalation occurred, President Trump was in denial.
2: We have it under control, it's uh, gonna be just fine. I think that's a problem that's gonna go away. But Trump still found time to
1: blame the media, tweeting, low ratings, fake news, MS, DNC, and CNN are doing everything possible to make the coronavirus look as bad as possible, including panicking markets if possible. Here's the thing, Mr. President. Pandemics don't care about politics. Remember, the Chinese impulse to cover up may have helped lead to this outbreak. And here in the United States, the Trump administration's war on science has left us vulnerable. Remember, the Trump administration has been shutting down research committees and silencing scientists and making climate crisis denial a matter of public policy. But it should still shock you that Trump slashed the government agencies that would have been responsible for handling an outbreak. With money running tight, The CDC planned to cut its global pandemic prevention efforts by 80 percent, cutting activities in 39 countries, including China. Trump administration also shut down the global health security unit of the National Security Council, disbanding the very office Obama opened to handle pandemics during the Ebola crisis.
0: Okay, I, I can stop right there. I don't need to go on. Essentially, CNN's position here is that you can't ever cut the federal budget. There was, when the president made these proposals, no pandemic, no epidemic, and no disease. Now, what is the president's response? The president's response now is to go to Congress and get more money and reallocate it. And you know, by the way, uh, one of the things the president is doing, John Avalon mentioned the cutting of the office that handled Ebola. They're actually taking the money from that office and reassigning it to the coronavirus, which CNN doesn't cover and which is left out of the details. Uh, They're reassigning money from one area to go to another area. This the whole idea that the president is anti-science, and his rhetoric is getting us into this. It almost seems to be the media wishing, wishing for something to happen. this is Brian Stelter, Stelter at CNN since the dawn of the Trump presidency, countless experts have warned that the president's lack of credibility would imperil the country in the event of an emergency with the worsening coronavirus outbreak that two weeks ago, by the way, CNN was reporting was on the decline. Those fears may be coming true. President Trump's political allies have made overly optimistic statements only to be contradicted by the government's top scientists and doctors. For example, Trump claimed on Monday the coronavirus was very much under control in the USA. A day later, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention said the virus spread to the U.S. was inevitable. He said the stock market is looking very good, even as the Dow is nosediving amid coronavirus anxiety. And the president has been blaming the media for the predicament, reverting to the same tactics he's employed since taking office. It, it, it's almost uh, the media is giddy. That There's a coronavirus outbreak to prove the president's not telling the truth. I, I have never seen such celebrations. You know, if Barack Obama had come on TV and told people, look, things are going well. We've got it under control. Uh, the markets look good. Uh, CNN and everyone else say, well, he's reassuring the nation. We don't want to start a panic. President Trump comes out and does this. And then he's like, oh, my God, we're all going to die. Trump's in control. You're going to die because Donald Trump's the president. It, 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 this is sad to see. And the good points that might be made, the the truth that might be made, and and John Avalon, I think, does make some good points, but overall, they're overshadowed by this Trump derangement syndrome in the press that everything the president does is bad. The president's – he has no calming words. The president of the United States can't actually do anything worthwhile. Everything is bad. It's a disaster. We're all going to die. He's a liar. He's anti-science. You know, the Washington Post, the president put Mike Pence in charge. We'll get to the audio here in a minute. The the president put the vice president in charge charge to coordinate this which means that the vice president has the direct ear of the president can coordinate across government agencies is an elected official in charge of it and the media reaction is do you know there was an hiv crisis in in indiana and mike pence shut down planned parenthood planned parenthood was giving tests and he didn't want to give needles away to drug addicts that's their attack, that it's all anti-science. This is the, the same media playbook they use with the Russians, the same media playbook they use with Mueller, the same media playbook they use with impeachment, the same media playbook they used with Ukraine. They're now using it with the president on this. It is the boy who cries wolf over and over and over and over. It is the boy who cries wolf. And I wonder if they're so fixated on the president right now in this, is it going to distract them from their war against Bernie Sanders, which we will get to here now? the president uh, speaking from uh, the, the press room at the White House last night.
2: We have, through some very good early decisions, decisions that were actually ridiculed at the beginning, we closed up our borders to flights coming in from
0: certain areas. By the way, notice how the media doesn't point that out, and that's a, a statement of fact. That is a statement of fact. Democrats ridiculed the president on February 2nd for overreaching and scaring people by shutting down the border. Oh, he's wanted to do He's using coronavirus as an excuse to shut down the border and stop flights from China because we're in trade war with China. They did that. I'm not making it up. You know it and they know it and not a single one of them wants to point it out today.
2: Uh, areas that were hit by the coronavirus and hit pretty hard. And we did it very early. A lot of people thought we shouldn't have done it that early. And we did, and it turned out to be a very good thing. And the number one priority from our standpoint is the health and safety of the American people. And that's the way I viewed it when I made that decision. Because of all we've done, the risk to the American people remains very low. We have the greatest experts in the world, really in the world right here. The people that are called upon by other countries when things like this happen we uh, we're ready to adapt and we're ready to do whatever we have to as the disease spreads if it spreads
0: now he's naming the vice president here
2: establish great health care they have a great system there a system that a lot of a lot of the other states have really looked to and changed their systems they wanted to base it on the indiana system he's very good and i think and he's he's uh really very expert at the field and what i've done is i'm going to be announcing uh, exactly right now that i'm going to be putting our vice president mike pence in charge and mike will be working with the professionals and doctors and everybody else that's working the team is is brilliant i spent a lot of time with the team over the last couple of weeks but they're totally brilliant and we're doing really well and mike is going to be in charge and mike will report back to me but he's got a certain talent for this, and uh, I'm going to ask Mike Pence to say a few
0: words, please. Thank you, Mike. And here's what the Vice President had to say a little bit.
3: President Trump's made clear from the first days of this administration we have no higher priority than the safety, security, health, and well-being of the American people. And from the first word of a outbreak of the coronavirus, the President took unprecedented steps to protect uh, the American people from the spread of this disease, he recounted those Briefly, but uh, the establishment of travel restrictions, uh, aggressive quarantine effort of Americans that are returning declaration of a public health emergency and establishing uh, the White House Corona Task Force are all reflective of the urgency that the president has brought to a whole of government.
0: Now, I, I got to play you one more clip from the president. I found this one funny. Uh, if you've ever met the president or you know anything about him, the president is actually a massive germaphobe. The president, I mean, genuinely, if anyone has sniffles, if anyone coughs in his presence, if they're not removed from the room immediately, the president removes himself from the room. He's that big of a germaphobe. And so he told this story last night with the Q&A with reporters.
2: Any other of their behaviors? No, I think you have to always, you know, I do it a lot anyway, as you probably heard, wash your hands, stay clean. You don't have to necessarily grab every handrail unless you have to. You know, you do certain things that you do when you have the flu. I mean, view this the same as the flu. When somebody sneezes, I mean... I try and bail out as much as possible with the sneezing. I had a man come up to me a week ago, I hadn't seen him in a long time, and I said, how you doing? He said, fine, fine, he hugs me, kiss me. I said, are you well? He says, no. (laughs) He said, I have the worst fever and the worst flu, and he's hugging and kissing me. So I said, excuse me. I went there and started washing my hands. So you have to do that. You know, this is, I I really think, Doctor, you want to treat this like you treat the flu, right? And, you know, it's going to be, it's going (laughs) to (laughs) be.
0: Yeah, he's a huge germaphobe. That's actually very, very funny that that happened. Um, I want to, I mean, we've obviously got the politics of this. The, The media attacks against the president really are ridiculous. Uh, Here's the headline from the Washington Post. Uh, Mike Pence was criticized for his handling of Indiana's HIV outbreak. He will lead the U.S. coronavirus response. Let me tell you what the criticisms were. Mike Pence closed a Planned Parenthood clinic in Indiana. The Planned Parenthood clinic was doing HIV screenings. There was an HIV outbreak from drug users in Indiana. The vice president did not want to continue to give drug addicts needles so they could continue putting drugs in. Therefore, people, drug addicts were sharing needles with people who might have HIV exacerbating the problems. And somehow it wasn't the drug addicts sharing needles that were at fault. It was the vice president of the United States who was at fault because, you know, some doctor said if you just let the drug addicts keep using drugs and give them clean needles we can stop the outbreak and the vice president wanted to actually figure out is there a way to get these people into rehab so we solve all the problems but no 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 it was all his fault because he closed the Planned Parenthood facility you can't take these people seriously on this stuff you know, let me play Joe Scarborough. This actually, to Joe Scarborough's credit, on on Morning Joe this morning, he's not a fan of the president. Listen to this, though. I thought, I thought, you know, there are a couple of little barbs that he threw out there. He brought the
4: wall in passing. Yeah. But, you know, he was also asked about India at the very beginning. Hey, how great was your trip to India? Set up perfectly for him. He said, I don't really want to talk about that. Let's talk about the virus. So, yes, grading on the lower scale, grading on the Trump scale. I, I was very pleased and and actually comforted that the president of the United States uh, brought the entire healthcare care team out. And they talked to Americans about this very important situation.
0: You know, you could disagree with Scarborough, but that, that was reasonable analysis. Far more reasonable analysis than the the reliable sources hair on fire. Well, Brian Stelter doesn't really have any hair, but um, it, it just just the, the the light himself on fire and run around screaming Trump 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 that this is this is uh, Donald Trump's war on truth. We're all gonna die because Donald Trump uh, has a problem telling the truth. It's just it, it's a bunch of hooey. Here's Richard Haas, not exactly a Trump fan on MSNBC. The honest answer is we don't know what the risk is. Uh, the numbers of those who have the disease are probably far larger than is publicly known in part because lots of people are asymptomatic. Uh, the good news from that is the fatality rate is probably lower than the, 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 the published rate. Uh, I think he made one important move was establishing one person in charge of this. You need a whole of government effort. You need one person who's senior to the cabinet, who can coordinate the cabinet, who can link the foreign and domestic aspects of that. So I actually think appointing the vice president, he's was was the the right thing to do. But it was a sobering press conference in the Mm -hmm. sense that while the president was leaning towards the let's not overreact, the danger is obviously underreaction. Underreaction reaction, a reaction. How do we react to this? What is the actual data on this? Is this as bad as the flu? Is it not as bad as the flu? I've been talking to a lot of experts. I've been doing a lot of reading. I actually want to explain the coronavirus to you when we come back beyond the conspiracies, beyond the rumors. What are the actual facts? What do we actually honestly know About the coronavirus, and what do we honestly not know about the coronavirus? Let's do that when we come back. Also, again, if you want to see the Johns Hopkins data uh, that they update daily, text the word data to 33777. Uh, You're not going to get asked uh, what your email address is or anything, you're just going to immediately get back a link. Uh, That will give you the link to the Johns Hopkins data so you can see it for yourself, inform yourself and your friends. Welcome back. It is Eric Erickson here, The Eric Erickson Show. The phone number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. I I want to spend time here trying to break down for you the facts on COVID-19, this coronavirus. Uh, and give you a lot of data. I said, and I've got to correct myself now, uh, the other day it looked like uh, the fatality rate may be around the same as the flu. Uh, The revised updates on this coronavirus actually make it look far worse than the flu. And the reason is because... Uh, while the mortality, the documented mortality rate of people in hospitals with flu in this country is around 2%, the actual mortality rate of people who get the flu in the United States is about uh, 12 tenths of a percent. Now, why the discrepancy? Well, if you get hospitalized with the flu, in this country, uh, you've got a really bad case of the flu and you tend to be elderly or you tend to be very young and it impacts your respiration. It can go into pneumonia. A lot of people have the flu and they never even report that they have the flu. That they just deal with it at home. Uh, when you take into account the people who have actually gotten the flu and, and they don't go to the doctor, they just deal with it at home, as a lot of people do, that lowers the actual mortality rate to about 12 tenths of a percent. Uh globally right now the mortality rate on the coronavirus is standing at about 3.6%. Uh, 6%. uh let, let me let me I can do this in real time with this Johns. And again if you want to see the Johns Hopkins numbers, uh text the word data to uh 33777. So there have been 2000 uh 810 deaths. Out of 82,544 confirmed cases, that is a mortality rate of 3.4% right now. Uh, You do have a thus far recover rate. You've got 33,212. Oh. Uh, yeah, uh, 82,544. So thus far, we've got a 40% uh, recovered rate thus far. We've got a 3.4% mortality rate. Now, here's where it gets a little tricky. Uh, part of the mortality rate issue is in China, a lack of response and a lack of diagnosis. Uh, so those numbers can come down. The the COVID-19 has a far higher fatality rate than the seasonal flu. And, uh, and I'm reading now from Chuck DeVore. He's a friend of mine former uh, Senate candidate. He was in the uh, California legislature. He's now the vice president of the Texas public policy foundation, uh lieutenant in army intelligence. The, and he writes um, here's why this pandemic has my attention. Influenza kills between uh, seven uh, hundreds and uh, 12 tenths of those in, infects in the U S it infects millions of people. The COVID-19 has a far higher fatality rate in Italy which has clean air and a modern medical system. There have been 453 reported infections and 12 deaths. That's a 2.6 death rate that's similar to suspected numbers out of China. So the fatality rate, not to mention what appears to be significant complications for survivors, as well as the potential for reinfection and cardiac arrest, lend credence to a fatality rate at least 20 times higher than the flu. So if the virus spreads as readily as does the flu, we could be looking at millions of fatalities, not unlike the Spanish flu outbreak of 1890. 1918 to 1919 we'll see in the meantime uh pray for our medical professionals and researchers who are going to be saving people's lives a very fair point there uh what else do we know about the data what do we know about the coronavirus what is uh, the world health organization and the cdc saying what are they saying on the campaign trail even i'll bring you all of that when we come back here on the eric erickson show Okay, what do we know and not know about the coronavirus and how to stay safe and where it's going to happen? It may very well spread in this country. We know that there is a case now in Northern California. Uh, the CDC and local health officials are reporting that it appears to be a, a transmission to someone. Uh, first case of unknown origin was not tested for several days. Um, it, it took four days to test the resident. Um, new details are emerging. This is from San Francisco Chronicle. Uh, the patient who is a resident of Solana County, was brought to the University of California Davis Medical Center from another Northern California hospital, February 19th. It wasn't until four days later that the CDC heated a request to test the patient for the new coronavirus. According to the hospital's uh, CEO, the patient arrived on a ventilator and special protection orders were issued because of an undiagnosed and suspected viral condition. The hospital asked the CDC to test for the coronavirus, but testing was delayed until Sunday since the patient did not fit the CDC criteria for COVID-19. The CDC confirmed the test was positive February 26. The hospital, which has treated other coronavirus patients, has taken infection prevention protocols, Since the patient arrived, the email says officials believe that there was minimal chance others at the facility were exposed. Nevertheless, a small number of medical center employees have been asked to stay home and monitor their temperatures. All of the 59 other cases in the U.S. had traveled from abroad and had been in close contact with those who traveled. Health officials have been on high alert for so-called community spread. Earlier cases in the U.S. include 14 people who traveled back from outbreak areas in in China and their spouses, three people who were evacuated from central Chinese uh, areas around Wuhan, 42 Americans on the Diamond Princess cruise ship who were evacuated by the federal government. Some of those evacuated were taken to Travis Air Base, which is in Solana County. A number of the earlier cases have been in California, including among some of the people taken to Travis and one in which a traveler returned to San Benito County spread the virus to a spouse. Uh, is uh, um, San Francisco, <clears throat> excuse me, has uh, declared a state of emergency regarding the coronavirus, as others have as well. Now, some some tips for you as, as this goes on. And again, if you wanna see the Johns Hopkins dashboard, text DATA to 33777. If you wanna call into the program, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Let me give you the, the national rundown on this so you have a, a sense of it, uh, where these things are happening. Uh, a 78,497 of the cases are in China. 1,766 are in South Korea, 705 from the Diamond Princess Cruise Line, 528 in Italy, 245 in Iran, 189 in Japan, 93 in Singapore, 92 in Hong Kong, 60 in the U.S., 43 in Kuwait, 40 in Taiwan, 33 in Bahrain, Bahrain uh, 32 in Taiwan 26 in Germany 23 in Australia 22 in Malaysia 18 France 16 Vietnam 15 Spain 15 UK 13 UAE 11 Canada, 10 Macau, 6 Iraq, 4 Oman, 4 Switzerland, 3 India, 3 Philippines, 3 Croatia, 2 in Israel, 2 in Finland, 2 in Sweden, 2 in Russia, 2 in Pakistan, 2 in Lebanon, 2 in Austria, and then in Afghanistan, Nepal, Cambodia, Norway, Algeria, Belgium, Georgia, Denmark, Northern Macedonia, Brazil, Romania, Estonia, Greece, Egypt, and Sri Lanka, there's one case. Um, The heart of this continues to be Asia, uh, China, and South Korea and the Diamond Princess Cruise Lines, people in confined spaces, people in churches in South Korea spreading it to each other. It appears to be the case in in Italy as well. It was people in northern Italy in um, church settings uh, that caused the spread. Now, I'm not telling you don't go to church, just... Uh, Don't be shaking hands. Um, One of the questions that I have gotten and and that a number of people raised are, what about masks? Uh, There actually is not a ton of data on wearing masks. Um, Alistair Miles uh, is a biologist, and he's got a Twitter thread on this. And he says, many countries like the U.K. are currently in containment phase. Likely at some point, infection is going to start spreading via local transmission. At that point, top priority is to slow the spread. Fortunately, risk of serious illness is low, especially for children, but risk is higher for the elderly and people with existing health conditions. Now, let me stop right here. Uh, There have been a number of reports out. I have read them from hospitals that are uh, studying groups of coronavirus patients. And overwhelmingly, uh, everyone gets a fever and everyone winds up having respiratory distress, Um, much like with the flu or pneumonia. People who have a very serious case, and are hospitalized. Forty-nine uh, percent of them in, in the te- in the pools of people thus far. But these are small pools of people. Keep that in mind: less than hundred people. Um, but forty-nine percent fatality. Uh, the older you are, the more likely you are to to succumb. The younger you are, the better off you are. Uh, if you have pre-existing health conditions, uh, there is some data that may suggest you're more susceptible to contraction to begin with. Uh, diabetes and cancer, uh, but that is it's nebulous data that's not confirmed data that's just their speculation out there on that what they do know is that younger pools of people tend to do better off with this disease uh, risk again higher in elderly and people with pre-existing conditions there are practical things you can do stop touching your face especially around your eyes nose and mouth it is harder than it sounds i know i want to scratch just just hearing don't do it Wash your hands often. Wash with soap and water for 20 seconds or use a hand sanitizer, alcohol-based hand sanitizer. Make sure you wash your hands before you eat or touch any food. If you or a friend or family take prescription medication, make sure that you've got a good supply. Don't panic by going out and buying enough food to survive a zombie apocalypse, but do buy extra provisions a little bit at a time. Uh, Make sure if you have pets that you've stocked up on some pet food. If local transmission of the disease starts, keep your distance from people. Uh, Keep distance. Don't shake hands. Don't make contact with people. While wearing a mask sounds like a good idea, it gives a false sense of security, there's actually very little evidence that a mask stops the spread of infection. Masks are most effective with people who already are infected. So, and again, if you're not infected, wearing a mask doesn't really help. And There's a lot of data that this coronavirus can survive outside the body on surfaces for 24 hours. That's longer than the flu. That's what makes this more contagious. Uh, And if you've got a mask on and the mask, the outside of the mask, uh, comes into contact with the coronavirus, you take the mask off, uh, you have the potential to carry the mask and you have the potential to carry the virus into your home on the mask. Uh, So that is something to be careful about. Uh, If you are sick and you have symptoms, wearing a mask, even the basic surgical mask, as opposed to the fancier masks that painters wear, uh, that is uh, something to consider so that you're not spreading diseases if you have if a loved one becomes sick call ahead before going to the doctor a fever clinic or hospital get advice on what to do it doesn't look like this is going to be over quickly but here's the thing that aggravates me and i'm going to stop reading this guy's thread now Um, the thing that aggravates me is that we have a whole host of people in this country who are emotionally invested in defeating the president and intend to blame something that happened in China on the president. Now, do you know, by the way, more and there is more and more open speculation that this probably did come from that bio lab in Wuhan. There is a lot of now open speculation that that's where this came from. And only a few weeks ago, when Tom Cotton, the senator from Arkansas, raised that issue, he was roundly attacked by the media for spreading a conspiracy. And then you've got this. If you want to see where the mind of the media is on this, this is John Meacham, you know, the the respected author, biographer. Everybody loves John Meacham. He spoke at George H.W. Bush's funeral. Listen to this nonsense.
4: Yeah, I mean, the the push and pull in our history has been between political appointees and a more professionalized civil service. It's out of a progressive instinct that you actually want government to be an instrument instrument, uh, a competent instrument, and it seems to me that my my greatest anxiety, aside from the, the impact of the virus itself, is we're living in an age of xenophobia.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: And mm-hmm. it is not impossible to imagine a scenario where blame is cast mm, on some country or group of people if this becomes worse. It's happening in Asia, actually. And and what what about Tom Cotton, the guy that, didn't Tom go to Harvard? I think so. I I think think Tom's a Harvard uh, uh, guy, uh, very well-educated. Tom Cotton a couple of days ago. Uh, spouting a conspiracy theory that the Chinese made this virus up in a lab. You have Rush Limbaugh every day, presidential medal, freedom of honor. It's hard to say this is the most reckless thing he's ever done, but saying that basically this was just a conspiracy and this was just made up to hurt Donald Trump. He said something yesterday, I, I can't even keep up with it, but every day is a new dangerous conspiracy theory. I mean, this is, this is serious stuff, folks. Don't worry about your ratings for one week. Don't, don't try to,
0: don't try to spool up. Well, look. I approached I Joe earlier. I, I gotta, I gotta disagree with him here. Uh, what did Rush Limbaugh say that it was a, a media conspiracy to go after the president? Have we not, in the beginning of this program today, documented how the media is using the coronavirus to go after the president? It's not that Rush Limbaugh dismissed the coronavirus; he dismissed a lot of the media coverage of the coronavirus as just going after the president, not actually giving us the facts on the coronavirus, but attacking the president. And in fact, we're seeing it CNN this morning. Uh, you, you've got the Brian Stelter from. You've got the John Avalon monologue that that the president has a way with truth and therefore it's bad. You've got Gail Collins of the New York Times saying stop calling it the coronavirus, a, a virus that originated in China. She wants to call it the Trump virus. Trump Derangement Syndrome. And and then you've got the issue of Tom Cotton. Tom Cotton did not say that China intentionally concocted this thing to spread it to people. He said this is a lab in Wuhan, China that experiments on coronaviruses. Fact check, true. He said we know around the world, including here in the United States at the CDC, there have repeatedly been accidents in the past in handling these sorts of viruses. Fact check, true. He said he does not think it was intentionally deployed, possibly even manufactured, but was in a lab and perhaps someone accidentally got infected fact check we don't know even the chinese don't deny that what we do know for certain from the cdc is that they initially blamed the seafood market in wuhan china and now we know for certain from the cdc that whoever originated with the virus went to the market and spread it there not that it was originated from the market that's a fact check true but the media itself is intent on blaming the president for this. Um, it, it is a political play for the Democrats. In fact, uh, Nancy Pelosi is out slamming the president on this. Listen to this.
5: Let go a couple of years ago. Never replace them. This is shameful. Uh, puts forth a proposal now that is meager, anemic, in terms of addressing as well. Uh, with Ebola, we did $5 billion. Now they're trying to take the Ebola money and spend it here.
0: Wait a second. Are we in an Ebola crisis? Because she's attacking the president for taking money from the Ebola fund that was set aside several years ago by Obama and moving it to the coronavirus fund. Why is that a bad thing?
6: What, what he's doing is
0: late. Too late. Need- it, it, too late. You attacked him at the beginning of this month for stopping air travel with China.
5: Hopefully we can make up for the loss of time. But it will have to have the professionals in place, the resources that are adequate not be using scare tactics about coming
0: back uh, to our country. Wait, 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 wait. Let's not use scare tactics. All of the cases in the United States, except for possibly this one in California, have been from people who came back to this country from abroad. In fact, all of the cases in Italy and South Korea originated from people who came back abroad. Uh, It's not a scare tactic to say if people are coming back from Asia, we should be careful with them and monitor them. I mean, This is another example of the Democrats overplaying their hands on this Uh, they cannot help themselves they hate the president so bad they did the same thing with Russia they did the same thing then with the Mueller report and the Mueller testimony and the Ukrainian phone call and the whistleblower and impeachment it's attack 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 give just one side of the story put on a bunch of sympathetic people and then say well the president has a trouble with the truth and because the president's a regular liar we can't trust anything the president says To Joe Scarborough's credit on on Morning Joe this morning, at least he noted that uh, it was good to have the president bring the whole medical team together and do this. It was good to have a single person in charge who transcends the cabinet, who can coordinate all the players to make sure things are happening the way they need to happen. Uh, How is it the president's fault that a virus released in China that has infected 80,000 Chinese people and is now spreading globally, how is that the fault of the president of the United States? And by the way, it is not going to be the government that is going to find a solution. It'll be the government working with the private sector. It'll be the private sector that manufactures the solution. It'll be the private sector of the United States that saves us, the private sector of the healthcare industry that the Democratic candidates for president of the United States, particularly their frontrunner, want to get rid of. The Democrats want to get rid of the very industry in this country that's going to save people's lives, and the media wants to say, oh, well, Donald Trump said a lie, and therefore we can't believe him on this. Welcome, The phone number, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. I guess I need to send some meal prep recipes, don't I? (laughs) Some stuff you could put in the freezer in case we're all stuck in our homes. You know, I I actually, I I do my show out of the house. Uh, So I I, I assume that that if, if you're all sick, you can stay home and listen to me. Um, assuming Jim can actually get into the office to run the board for me, we'll have to come up with something, but, um, you can, but I had a guy call my evening show yesterday and ask about, uh, he's got a cruise next month he's going to the Caribbean and what should he do? And I, I don't know. I'm not going to give you the advice on whether or not you should or shouldn't cancel a trip. If I were going to Europe or Asia, I would think twice about it. Uh, but if you're going to the Caribbean, there aren't any cases in the Caribbean right now. There are no known cases in Florida, if you're leaving out of Florida. Um, but uh, the way this disease develops and how quickly it develops and spreads, you'll have a good idea by next month of what's going on. So be patient, uh, hang on, and and we'll find out. Um, I wouldn't – there's really – and this is the thing, though – The media keeps saying, don't panic, don't panic, don't panic, and the president comes out and says, look, relax, everybody, everything's okay, we've got this under the control, and the media says, oh my gosh, he's lying, we don't have it under control. The media itself is performing very badly here in its coverage of this. Now, uh, bringing up to speed on what's happening right now, the Dow is down another 447 points, uh, the worst decline in the stock market uh, since the financial crisis of 2008. Uh, And uh, all of this is panic over the coronavirus. There is a lot of panic about it out there, and there's also a a lot of panic about Bernie Sanders. In fact, the the media is upset that the president uh, went after Bernie Sanders last night and suggested part of the decline in the market was freak out about Bernie Sanders. I think he's probably actually right on that. Uh, You've got a lot of people coming out on Wall Street saying Sanders would be bad. The Democrats are marshalling forces to stop Sanders. They are doing what they can to stop him. Uh, perhaps it will work, but some of them are going to have to drop out. Ironically, now, it's looking more and more like Mike Bloomberg stating the race is going to help Bernie Sanders. I want to spend some time on that, but you should know, in addition to the markets, uh, there is some expected economic impact to the coronavirus here in Georgia. At a time, the governor is telling everyone we can have an economic slowdown. We need to make cuts. Uh, It turns out he's right. It's happening. And one of the things the governor has pointed out, too, and, and now the CDC and others are pointing out, are the ports, a decline in shipments to ports. Well, one of the problems, of course, is stuff coming from China. Uh, they're they're not there to manufacture it. Apple has come out with a report saying they can sustain several months of disruption to their supply chain. And uh, Apple says they're going to be okay as long as this is wrapped up by the summer. You've got Dick Pound coming out now. Y'all, I I gotta admit, I saw Dick Pound. Trending on Twitter. And I thought, man, we live in a fallen world for sure. But nope, that's apparently the guy's name. Uh, He is the longest serving member of the uh, International Olympic Committee. And he's saying that if we can't get this coronavirus situation resolved in the next two months, uh, we are going to have to shut down the Olympics, cancel the Olympics. We're not going to be able to move the Olympics. So there is some level of global fallout uh, from the coronavirus we all need to be mindful of. uh, But we also need to keep things in perspective, too, that the coronavirus is still out there with a lot of stuff about it unknown. And there are efforts now to make vaccines for it, antiviral drugs, uh, that uh, there have been some success. The issue with the drug, though, you need to understand, is that it could take a long time to get it and a long time to mass produce it. And this may be where the president comes in. If the president mobilizes American industry rapidly uh, for American industry to produce a vaccine, I mean, if the Democrats are going to take the political angle of attack the president, we might as well explore the political angle of the president here. If he mobilizes the American industry, does what he can to get them to come up with a vaccine uh, that actually works and saves lives. uh, The president could really do himself a lot of good in November, uh, just as the Democrats are trying to attack him on the coronavirus to, to hurt him. It really is appalling to see the media becoming partisan machines against the president on this issue. I want to take a quick time out to thank uh sponsor this week. And I got to tell you, I'm a fan because of what Bluevine does, being a small business owner. You know, so the radio show, you're listening to my podcast, it is of my morning radio show. You know, I don't even make a salary off this thing. I'm still trying to grow advertisers. And so thanks to Bluevine for that. But it's a small business. And I've got other people to that I've got to pay on payroll. I've got expenses I've got to meet for satellite and costs uh, for distribution, editing, production, things like that. So I I'm not actually making a salary on any of this stuff. Uh, as a result, I am a small business uh, looking to grow, looking for advertisers, and I understand what it means to reinvest. I also know what it means to need access to capital. And running a business, I mean, it is a challenge. Securing extra cash flow doesn't have to be a challenge. Bluevine helps you get a line of credit. It's fast, it's easy, it's simple. There are so many headaches in running a business. Uh, you shouldn't have to worry about stuff like that. Bluevine is actually an easy, fast way to help support your business growth with a line of credit up to $250,000. Whether you need the money to offset up front costs, secure inventory, pay an unexpected expense through BlueVine, you can help yourself and your business stay secure for any reason. There's no fee to set up your line of credit. BlueVine never charges maintenance or prepayment fees. Applying is very easy. You just go to getbluevine.com Eric. For listeners of the Eric Erickson show, BlueVine is offering a special limited time promotion. a $100 gift card. When you take out a loan or open a line of credit, with BlueVine. You go to getbluevine.com slash Eric, E-R-I-C-K for more details. All you have to do is go to getbluevine.com slash Eric and apply. It's quick. It's easy. It's a meaningful way to help your business in as little as 24 hours. The promotional offer, it's subject to terms and conditions. You can find those at getbluevine.com slash Eric. And thank you, to Blue Vine for sponsoring the show. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson show, the phone number. If you want to call in, be a part of the program, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. In the first hour of today's program, I spent the entire hour on the coronavirus. Uh, if you weren't around, you can listen, go back and listen on podcast. You can text the word show. To three three seven seven seven, text the word show to three three seven seven seven. I'll send you back the Google Play and the uh, Apple Podcast link. You can also get us in Spotify now. Those of you with Spotify can search for the Eric Erickson Show. You'll be able to get the podcast and you can listen to the first hour where I I, I looked at how the the president's press conference, putting the vice president in charge, the media reaction to it, the the Democrats melting down over it, and the actual data on the coronavirus. Uh, now, if you're just tuning in, I, I want to do this one more time. There is a great, great dashboard uh, by Johns Hopkins University. And by dashboard, I mean a a very easy-to-understand visual display of what's going on with the coronavirus. Interestingly enough, uh, there is a plateau you can visually see in the infectious rate for now uh, that may go back up. The CDC cautioning on that. Uh, But the number of people who are uh, being pronounced recovered from the coronavirus continues to go up. We've got 82,000 as of right now, 82,544 confirmed coronavirus cases. 2,810 of those people have died, of those cases have died. 33,212 are reported as fully recovered. Now, again, much like uh, the virus originated in uh, Hubei province in China and Wuhan, uh, the majority of infections are there, the majority of deaths are there, and the majority of recovers are there. It is notable, in fact, just to give you the real perspective here, Of the 2,810 confirmed deaths, 2,641 of them are in Hubei. Uh, That's Wuhan, China. Uh, And the reason for that is largely, in addition to the massive number of people who died there, uh, also the fact that the Chinese were very slow to react. Uh, So a lot of the initial cases uh, did not get treatment and died. But also, there are a lot of cases where people are, are not necessarily in need of serious medical treatment. Now... Uh, if you want to see the dashboard data, the, the dashboard visualization, if you weren't here in the first hour, let me tell you again, text the word data to 33777, text the word data to 33777, D-A-T-A to 33777, and all I'm going to do is you don't have to go through a bunch of machinations here. You text the word data to 33777, and you get back a direct link to the Johns Hopkins University dashboard uh, with their uh, map. You can see a heat map. You can see the total confirmed cases, total deaths, total recovery, and then a, an actual and logarithmic chart for how people are, how many infections versus how many people are recovered, etc. Uh, the map is updated it constantly, pulling data from the CDC, the World Health Organization, uh, and a number of other groups. It is very, very, very good good easy easy to visualize data for you to keep track of what's happening where the virus is spreading uh how it may be impacting your community there are nobody uh in um in the southeast has a case there is in san antonio texas there is one confirmed case uh i'm going up the the mississippi now there is a confirmed case in madison wisconsin there is a uh, two confirmed cases in Chicago. Uh, all of the these cases are people who traveled abroad uh, and came back. The one in Chicago is transmitted from spouse who went abroad to spouse who stayed home. Uh, those are the only cases east of the Mississippi River. Um Everything else is confined to the Western part of the country for now. It could spread. I know you're interested in it. And uh, if you text the word show to three, three, seven, 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 you can get my first hour podcast. I want to move on though, because there's a lot of other news out there beyond the coronavirus. I also want to remind you guys that I will be at the university of Georgia on uh, Wednesday, uh, Wednesday night, uh, talking to the college Republicans at the university of Georgia on uh, six 30 on Wednesday. Now, we should note, I was going to put this off a little bit, uh, but I'm, I'm going to go on and get there. The Democratic Party now is willing to pull out the stops for Bernie Sanders, and Joe Biden is giving them hope. Joe Biden is beginning to bounce back in the polling, and ironically it could be Mike Bloomberg who is hurting Joe Biden and not Joe Biden who is hurting Mike Bloomberg. The New York Times has a story out this morning. The headline is, Democratic Leaders Willing to Risk Party Damage to Stop Bernie Sanders. Inter- views with dozens of Democratic Party officials, including 93 superdelegates found overwhelming opposition to handing Mr. Sanders the nomination if he fell short of a majority of delegates. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Senator Chuck Schumer, the minority leader in the Senate, hear constant warnings from allies about congressional losses in November if the party nominates Bernie Sanders for president. Democratic House members share their Sanders fears on text messaging chains. Bill Clinton in calls with old friends vents about the party getting wiped out in the general election. And officials in the national and state parties are, are increasingly anxious about splintered primaries on Super Tuesday and beyond, where the liberal Mr. Sanders edges out moderate candidates who collectively win more votes. Dozens of interviews with Democratic establishment leaders this week show that they are not just worried about Mr. Sanders candidacy, but are also willing to risk intra-party damage to stop his nomination at the National Convention in July if they get the chance. Since Mr. Sanders' victory in Nevada's caucuses on Saturday, the Times has interviewed 93 party officials, all of them superdelegates who could have a say on the nominee at the convention and found overwhelming opposition to Bernie Sanders should he fall short of a majority. Such a situation may result in a brokered convention, a messy political battle the likes of which the Democrats have not seen since 1952 with the nomination of Adelaide Stevenson. We're way, way, way past the day where party leaders can determine an outcome here, but I think there's a vibrant conversation about whether there's anything that can be done, said Jim Himes, a Connecticut congressman and superdelegate who believes the nominee should have a majority of delegates. From California to the Carolinas and North Dakota to Ohio, the party leaders say they worry that Mr. Sanders, a Democratic socialist with passionate but limited support so far, will lose to President Trump and drag down moderate House and Senate candidates and swing districts with his left-wing agenda of Medicare for all and free four-year public college. What? I thought the Democrats liked that. I, I mean, Elizabeth Warren's been campaigning on this. Uh, you got all the other Democrats saying that they want a, a universal government health care program, uh, that they need free four year college. And yet, here in the New York Times, they're actually admitting that they couldn't pass this with Democrat moderates in the House and the Senate. Sanders and his advisors insist the opposite is true. His ideas will generate huge excitement. Such hopes have yet to be borne out in nominating contests. Jay Jacobs, the New York State Democratic Party chairman and a superdelegate, echoing many others interviewed, said that superdelegates should choose a nominee they believe had the best chance of defeating Mr. Trump. If no candidate wins a majority of delegates, Bernie wants to redefine the rules and just say he needs a plurality. I don't think we buy that. Y'all, here's the thing you got 93 superdelegates out of 771, uh, as well as party strategists and aides to senior Democrats, all freaked out about Bernie Sanders. Uh, The establishment is upset about him, just like the Republican establishment was upset about Donald Trump. Now, there is time to stop Bernie Sanders. There actually is time to stop Bernie Sanders. And in fact, they should stop Bernie Sanders. Here's Nina Turner in South Carolina introducing Bernie Sanders to the crowd.
4: There's There's
0: the the audio is horrible there, but what she's saying is he's going to carry on the tradition of Franklin Roosevelt and socialist Eugene Debs. And then here's this. Listen to this crowd cheer at the at the Sanders rally.
3: All right, Myrtle Beach. All right. How does it feel to be a bunch of radicals? Huh? A bunch, bunch of revolutionaries. bunch of socialists here in Myrtle Beach.
0: Ah, uh, yeah. That's not going to go over real well. Uh, the good news for the Democrats today is that the polling suggests that Joe Biden is resurgent in South Carolina. He had a good debate performance and he's starting to go up. Now, where are we nationally? Nationally, in the RealClearPolitics polling average, Bernie Sanders is now at 29.2% and Biden at 18%. But in South Carolina, Biden's at 31 and Sanders is at 20 now in the polling average. Biden's got a 10-point lead. In California, Sanders is at 28% and Warren's at 15%. In Texas now, Sanders is at 22 and Biden's at 20. And in North Carolina, Sanders is at 21 and Biden's at 19. Um, the Betty nods have Sanders at 55 and, and Bloomberg at 21 and Biden at 17. Uh, the individual state polls matter, though. And let's delve into South Carolina right now. Uh, Joe Biden was cratering in the polls and then is spiking now. Uh, Part of this is now there's a Monmouth University poll that's come out uh, that has uh, Bernie Sanders at 15 percent. He's barely on the cusp of getting any delegates. Uh, You've got Joe Biden, though, in the polling average at 31 percent. Sanders at 20 percent. Steyer at 15 percent. Steyer is a non-factor. And, you know, ironically, if Steyer weren't there, Biden would be doing even better. Isn't it funny that the billionaires in the Democratic Party are the ones holding Joe Biden back now? But in the polling, you've got a Clemson poll, and part of the problem here, if we're honest is that you don't have a lot of really competent pollsters. Clemson University, God bless them. I, and this is nothing disparaging about Clemson, but academic polling, I, I've gone I just ad nauseum to tell you academic polling is never that great. And uh, Democrats are now hanging their hopes on a Clemson University poll uh, the, of 33 to 13 Biden-Sanders. There's a Monmouth University poll that has just come out of the last few minutes that has it basically uh, 30-15. So, yeah, the academic polling is consistent, but then when you get to some of the even more credible pollsters out there, you've got uh, you've got better polling data that suggests the race is closer uh, than it should be. Uh, and I don't know the methodology for uh, the Monmouth University poll that's out there. At least it's not Emerson. Emerson is terrible. Uh, let me see. Uh, let's do this together because I don't know. I haven't seen it. What is the methodology? Because I talk about methodology all the time. Here we go. Here we go. The Democratic primary electorate in the state is it's a survey mixed survey methodology. Okay, here we go: telephone respondents, online, and online panels of voters conducted by a professional firm. I'm sorry, but I just think that's a terrible methodology. Telephone online and online panel voters. That that's the Clemson survey that has so many people putting their their hearts and minds towards Uh, The turnout. Now, the vice president uh, could have a really good day uh, if he captures most of the black voting because it is generally uh, considered accurate that the vice president is going to pick up the black vote in South Carolina. The question is, however, whether or not the vice president splits it terribly with Tom Steyer. Tom Steyer is the uh, billionaire Democrat running in South Carolina, Mike Bloomberg is not. And um, Steyer Steyer has been essentially going into black communities and spending a ton of money and, and wooing black voters that way. There's actually some ethics complaints now that are circulating in South Carolina over the money that Steyer is spending in the black community. There are a lot of people suggesting he's actually trying to buy uh, black voters off. We will see. Um, you know, the CBS News YouGov poll is 1,238 likely voters, and it's Biden 28, Sanders 23. The problem there, uh, to a degree, is that the the polling is again online polling. And so much of the polling we're seeing is online polling. And increasingly, we know that online polls are not as good as phone survey polling and uh at least for example let's see the the marist polling the NBC marist polling is cell phones and landline phones of 2,661 people. Now, the Marist poll in South Carolina was concluded on the 21st. There's a lot that's happened between the 21st and now, but it was 539 likely voters, and it had at 2723 Biden and Sanders with Tom Steyer at 15, and if anything, that gets us closer to the polling average of the other votes in South Carolina. The polling average matters. So many of the newest polls that have come out being online polling or landline only polling. And that's not good polling. It fails to capture, for example, um, it, it fails to capture uh cell phone data fails to capture minority voters among others. Now I'm not trying to, to, to bore you with this, but I I'm, I increasingly think you've got to look at the methodology of the polling to see who's accurate because so many of them rely on online panels. And if we can find some that have figured out a way to do online polling, that would be great because so many people are online now. Uh, But I just have a hard time thinking that it's acceptable. Uh, We know that polling is very expensive when you use live operators and call cell phones. And a lot of these polls, like Eastern Carolina University has a poll. It's the most recent poll that's up in the Real Politics Average. And it's got Biden 31, Sanders 23, and it uses landlines and it uses an online survey. No cell phones. Uh, the PPP, let's see. Oh, do, do we have an update here yet? We now got the Monmouth university poll. It's just updated in. It is Biden 36 Sanders 16. Let's check the methodology. I haven't seen the methodology yet, uh, from the, from the Monmouth poll. And again, the methodology is, is relevant and we need telephone polls. Oh, look, look, look. It was a telephone poll of 500 or 453 South Carolina voters likely to vote out of 716 registered voters who were contacted. It's got a margin of error of 4.6%, though. That's a pretty significant margin of error. But it is a telephone poll. Now, it doesn't say if it was landlines and cell phones together, but a a Monmouth University poll that uses uh, real landlines and and cell phones I would venture to say is better than a poll that uses an online voter pool. And Monmouth has it 36-16 with Steyer at 15. That would give Joe Biden the bulk of the delegates. If Joe Biden gets the overwhelming majority of delegates. It makes him a real player and actually forces um, uh, Mike Bloomberg to consider stepping aside. Biden has also rebounded into the lead in Florida, which is very interesting. Uh, We've got a new poll out, the St. Pete poll. Now has Joe Biden at 34%, Bloomberg at 23%. They're shutting out um, Sanders at 13%. Sanders, again, you got to get above 15% in a Democratic primary to get any delegates. And so they're shutting him out. The problem, though, is that Florida comes two weeks after Super Tuesday, and Sanders is expected to win most of the Super Tuesday state still. That's why there's so much panic in the Democratic Party right now. I have to say, I, I am starting to think the Democrats may be able to rally to stop. Sanders, uh, he's got a very clear path to the nomination, and uh, ironically, Sanders actually has a a path to victory. The Democrats are convinced he can't win, and if I'm honest about it, I think that uh, he has a hard will have a hard time winning. But he does have a clear path to rebuilding uh, the Obama coalition. But the Democrats, they've got enough data uh, thinking he he just can't win. That I think they're going to work very very hard to stop him, and they may be able to, but it, it really, really, really comes down to Biden in South Carolina, and you're going to hear a lot about that, and you should. There has not been a presidential candidate since Bill Clinton in 1992 who went on to get the nomination without winning uh, one of the first two races, New Hampshire or Iowa. Uh, Clinton lost New Hampshire, Iowa, and Nevada, went on to rebuild in South Carolina, became the comeback kid, uh, and went on to secure the nomination. Biden could pull that off Uh, and you've got a lot of Democrats now lined up to make that happen for Joe Biden and even today now we're starting to see a lot of reports out that Bloomberg just ain't doing too well and holy moly there's a lot of Democrats complaining out there Uh, the Washington Examiner David Drucker has compiled a list of prominent Democrats who are uh, just beside themselves on the idea of Bernie Sanders becoming the nominee and the list goes on and on it is male it is female it is across racial lines uh, msnbc has sidelined their their democratic uh, political and analyst jason johnson uh, because he smeared sanders staffers uh, which is interesting at a time where they're thinking they need to do more to uh, reach out to sanders voters but uh, they're not going to yet they want to take out sanders as best they can That's eye-opening the media coordinating with the democrats like this It is Eric Erickson here, and yeah, you can call in. The phone lines are open, 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. I have gotten just a ton of questions about uh, Brian Kemp and Kelly Leffler, And I want to, if you'll allow me to just give you the analysis of it, uh, you know, I, I'm. I've told you I'll support Leffler because Kemp picked her. Or even if I like Doug Collins, uh, and there is news out today that uh, the National Republican Senatorial Committee is taking a heavy hand in the campaign. In fact, there was a fundraiser by a progressive group. Um, I, I not. Nah, well, I shouldn't call them a progressive group, but uh, so the music industry wanted to do a fundraiser for Doug Collins. And and this group that wanted to do the fundraiser, it gives five times as much money to the Democrats, but they like Doug Collins because Collins is uh, big on a copyright issue that they support. Collins has uh, been working on copyright protection legislation for uh, the music industry that they very much like that would give them some protections. And so they wanted to throw a fundraiser for him, even if they're largely a Democratic group, collins and them agree on this issue and the national republican senatorial committee stepped in a lot of the donors who were planning to donate uh the national republican senatorial committee uh basically stepped in and said that if these lobbyists give money to doug collins uh, don't expect to have access to senate republicans and so they have canceled the fundraiser. They're trying to starve Collins of his money. They, I mean, they're playing for keeps. Whether you agree with the, them or not, they're playing for keeps here, and they intend to rally to Leffler. Why Leffler? What? What? What's the deal with Kelly Leffler? And and why? Why should we care? If you'll allow, Brian Kemp heard from the and this is honest to goodness this is what frustrates me with so many of the so-called tea party movement republican conservatives out there that they couldn't care less about the size and scope of the federal government as long as donald trump's in charge of bankrupting the country instead of barack obama and they they think they're doing the president some sort of favor by by being super loyal to him and they love doug collins but along the way before the collins pick was even there What did the conservative movement say? What was a chief concern of the conservative movement in Georgia after four, after eight years of of Sonny Perdue and eight years of Nathan Deal? What was a chief concern of conservatives in the state of Georgia? A chief concern was the lack of outsiders. All of the people who seemed to be advancing were cronies to Nathan Deal. They hated Chris Riley, Nathan Deal's chief of staff. They said it was corruption. It was the Gainesville Mafia, they called it. That's why they didn't like Casey Cagle. It was, we didn't have enough outsiders. By God, we need outsiders. We need more outsiders. We got to have outsiders in government. We need outsiders. And so the governor says, okay, conservatives in Georgia want outsiders. Well, Another concern is they got to do better in the suburbs. They got to do better in the suburbs because the Democrats did well in the suburbs. And Joe Biden's probably going to be the nominee, not Bernie Sanders. According to this was at the time, Joe Biden's going to be the nominee. A lot of conservative, a lot of a lot of moderate women in the suburbs will go with Joe Biden because they hate the uh, president. And we got to find someone who can try to make the case for Republicans in the suburbs. And whoever it is, they're going to be on the ballot with a bunch of white white men. And then they're going to be on the ballot two years later with a bunch of Republican white men. So we need some diversity there if we can get it as a way to connect with the women. And then the third criteria was by God, we got to have somebody who is super rich. We got to have someone who's as rich as God almighty, who can fund this race themselves because we got to raise money to save the house. We got to raise money to save the Senate. We got to raise money to help the president. We got to raise money to help David Perdue. We got to help and raise money to, to build a ground game. So we need someone with deep pockets. So the base wanted an outsider. The establishment wanted someone who could attract suburban women. And, and everybody agreed we got to have somebody who can fund this themselves. And when you write that on a piece of paper, those three criteria, Doug Collins' name does not come up. Doug Collins does not have deep pockets. He does not automatically have ends with suburban women. And he's not an outsider. As much as we like Doug Collins, he doesn't fit the criteria. And the governor uh, farmed it out. He wanted people to apply. A bunch of people who applied were insiders, not outsiders. A bunch of the people who applied did not have the deep pockets to be able to fund it. And along comes Kelly Leffler, and the governor says, this is it. Let's, let's do this one. She's an outsider. She's not an insider. She's a millionaire billionaire who owns the New York Stock Exchange. She can fund it. And she's a woman, a, a self-made woman. She married well-to-do, but she was self-made before she married a well-to-do man. And that success story and her background as a farmer's daughter, daughter and the like. Her brother's still a farmer. Uh, That should be able to connect her in with suburban women. She's got a story to tell. Let's do it. And the governor did it. And oh my gosh, the governor can't do this. We need Doug Collins, says the Tea Party activist. We need an insider. Well, the moment before you were saying you wanted an outsider. I mean, see, this, this this is not the governor's problem. This is the problem for a bunch of people who just didn't get their way. And I understand that Uh, you want your way uh, and you're willing to sabotage the Republican Party in Georgia because you didn't get your way. The Collins-Leffler race will mean that a bunch of money gets poured in in there that should be poured into the Purdue race and the Trump race and the Senate, saving the Senate and saving the House and all of this. Uh, Interestingly enough, the Speaker of the House is complicit in all of this. The Speaker of the House, David Rawson, uh, going out of his way to try to help Collins. He and Collins are friends. That's an issue that's going to come up on the campaign trail, by the way. But it it really is, it's amazing to me to see that we've got a bunch of people upset with Kelly Leffler. She's got a 97% conservative approval rating since she's been there. I don't even know what the 3% is, a statistical anomaly. Every single bit of the president's agenda, she's backed. She's pro-life. She supported the Born Alive Infant Protection Act just the other day. All of these things, but she's not our person, and we don't want her. Screw her because she's not who we wanted. The president seems to like her. The president seems to to very much like her. In fact, the president's now trying to find places to stick Doug Collins so that he can keep Leffler in the Senate. But that's why... They chose this. You need to understand this. This is why the president chose Leffler over Collins, because the base said we want an outsider. The establishment said we need to to rebuild in the suburbs. And the Republican Party establishment said we need someone with deep pockets so we don't have to waste our money on this race. And that looked like Leffler, not Collins. That's why the governor went that way. And I'm going to trust the governor on this, whether you do or not. That's fine. Feel free to disagree. Collins is a great guy. I I have denied people the ability on my website to run pieces attacking Doug Collins. I have denied people the ability to come on here and attack Doug Collins. I don't want to be a part of it. He's a good guy. I don't want to tear Doug Collins down. But it is a divisive primary that's going to cost more money than it should. And the National Republican uh, Senatorial Committee, the Club for Growth, uh, the Susan B. Anthony Fund, and a host of other conservative groups are coming out. in Newt Gingrich coming out for Loeffler. Uh, Doug Collins will be at CPAC rallying the conservative base. The conservative base does not have the deep pockets that some of these other groups do. And the National Republican Senatorial Committee's strategy is to hurt Doug Collins at the fundraising level. So he's limited uh by November as Leffler spends her $20 million. That's the state of play there. Now, to the phones, 877 eric eight seven seven nine seven three seven four two five Terry, in Athens, you're going to be up first. Welcome.
3: Yeah, thank you uh, for taking my call. Um, I have uh, kind of a two-part question. I have a friend of mine that says the upcoming primary is not... Um, Party-specific, so if we're a conservative, if we're a Republican, we can vote in the Democratic primary. Is that a true statement?
0: Yes. Uh, what you do is you show up at the election, you request a Democratic ballot, uh, just like any other primary, and you can go vote in the Democratic primary.
3: Okay. The second question is, is her take is we should all vote for Bernie to ensure that Bernie gets the uh votes from the george delegation so that he gets elected or gets the nomination so that trump can beat him i'm I'm not sure i agree with that strategy i don't like the idea of gaming the system and i'm not really interested in voting for Bernie. but i'd be curious to know uh, your take on that
0: you know i'm glad you asked that terry because i actually agree with you there are a lot of republicans in in south carolina who want to rush in and help bernie sanders in south carolina uh, and there, there's a movement here in Georgia to do it as well. The presidential preference primary is going to be March 24th here in Georgia. And I'm, I'm opposed to disrupting the other side's race. You know, that's what they did to us. The Democrats in 2016 decided that uh, Donald Trump was uh, the guy they wanted. And so they rushed in and ensured that Donald Trump was the guy they wanted. And guess what? He beat him. I don't think Republicans need to help Democrats pick their candidate. Uh, both sides these days think it's just clever as all get out to go in and game the system on the other side. I disagree. Uh, let them pick their own candidate. Now, if you if you disagree with me, that's fine. Uh, I just I think let them pick their candidate. Let them pick the person they think is best. Don't try to rig the system for them. And if they get Bernie Sanders, well, God bless them. Uh, now, just so you understand what the calendar is— on March 24th, it is the presidential preference primary and any special elections there may be, there are a couple of state legislative seats and, and local races that will be on the ballot on March 24th. There will be a runoff, not for the presidential race, but for those special elections on April 21st. Uh, the deadline to register to vote for the March 24th ele- presidential election has already passed. So if you register to vote now, you can't register for anything other than the uh, primary, the, the general primary. Now there's a difference. In most states, the presidential preference primary and the general primary are two different days. So you have the presidential race on a ballot all by itself. And then a couple months later, you have the, uh, the general primary. This is what Georgia does and Florida and a bunch of other States. So March 24th, you'll have the presidential race and may 19th you will have the general primary election, and then the runoff from that primary election, July 21st, and the election day is November 3rd. And ironically, if, there is a, um, if there's a runoff in the Kelly Loeffler uh, special election, that runoff would be January 5th of next year, uh, fighting over control of the Senate, potentially. So March 24th is the presidential race. If you decide you're a Republican and you want to go help Bernie Sanders in Georgia, you're allowed to do that. You can show up and vote. I disagree with you doing that. I think we ought to let the Democrats pick their own person and not play into this. But I understand the temptation, because on paper, uh, Bernie Sanders is super, super vulnerable. And I think uh, on stage, Bernie Sanders is super, super vulnerable. And the Democrats think Bernie Sanders is super, super vulnerable. But again, I'm I'm just I'm not willing to go there. I'm, I'm not willing to. I want them to be able to pick their own. There are signs in South Carolina that Republicans are doing an Operation Chaos style thing, where they go into the Democratic primary to help Joe Biden or to help Bernie Sanders. The polling out of uh, South Carolina. Has Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders uh, in the lead. Mike Bloomberg is not on the ballot. Tom Steyer appears to be in third place. And the question is, does Bernie Sanders get over 15% of the vote? Most polls have Bernie Sanders over 15%, but there's a Monmouth University poll I mentioned earlier this hour. It has come out. It is a a phone poll. It is not a uh, online poll. It is a live operator poll. It is not a robo poll. And it has uh, Joe Biden dominant at about 40% and Bernie Sanders at uh, just under 15%, which means Sanders would be shut out of delegates. Here, here's your, your bottom line factoid to impress all your friends you got to get to 15% in the Democratic primary. If you do not get to 15%, you do not get a single delegate. Now, some of the delegates are divided by congressional district. So you may not get to 15% statewide, but if you get to 15% in a congressional district, you'll get delegates. And that's what matters. Uh, and Bernie Sanders can keep racking these things up. But if Sanders gets to, here, here's the problem for the Democratic Party. If Sanders gets to Milwaukee at the Democratic Convention... And Sanders has uh, a plurality of the delegates and a majority of the vote. He's won the most states, but he doesn't have a majority of the delegates. They're going to be hard-pressed to deny him the nomination, and there's a temptation there they're going to want to. But the commies are either going to win or they're going to riot. So you're either going to give it to Bernie, or you're going to see Milwaukee burn uh, when Bernie supporters protest. The Democratic conventions always have rioting, and, and it, if Sanders they deny the commie the the nomination, those communist, progressive, socialist, uh, Molotov cocktail winding millennials are going to be out in the streets marching with their with their uh, alcoholic seltzer with with flames coming out of it, throwing it, burning the place down. This is the Democrats have the socialist tiger by the tail, and it risks consuming them one way or the other. And they should have never gone down this road. They went down it because they wanted to beat the president, and now the president could beat them like a drum if this whole thing blows up on them, which it looks like it may. All righty. A uh, reminder, if you text the word DATA to 33777, uh, you will get back a link to the Johns Hopkins University dashboard on the coronavirus so you can see. They, they update it in real time. Uh, in mm-hmm. fact, the the number of reported cases has gone up from 9 a.m. Uh, when I started the show. Uh, it was at uh, 82,522. It's now at 82,549. Um, and most of them continuing to come from China and Korea. Italy and Iran and, and Japan now has 189 cases. The United States at 60 cases. Um, and a lot most of those are uh from people who came back from China, or were traveling abroad. We do have that one case in California that appears to be someone who came into contact uh with those who were in isolation. Uh, we're we're still we're still trying to figure out exactly how much uh, they will be. also, i, I gotta tell you, um Pete Buttigieg is starting to cancel events and, and there are people thinking he may drop out. He sees the light. uh the the millennial sees the light enough to try to drop out of the race to stop Bernie Sanders. I don't know that it does him any good because he's really a non factor from here on out. it's It's uh Biden and Bloomberg and Warren who matter. Uh, the, the Dow right now, it is 55 after the hour. The Dow is down six hundred 690 points uh, as, as the panic continues to spread about the coronavirus. Uh, I will keep paying attention to this stuff, but there's plenty of other stuff out there I want to talk about. One thing that's worth noting. You know, eschatology is the is the theology of the end times. And there are a lot of people who look at this. We've had, let's see, the massive locust swarms across Africa and Asia. We've had random earthquakes around the world, including in this country and random places, including here in Georgia. Uh, we had war. We had rumor of war last month with World War Three breaking out with Iran. And uh, now we've got plague and people are like "Ah, this is the end times. This
2: is the end times.
0: You know, it, it, we're, we've been in the end times since the resurrection. Um, it it, it's, it's things are winding down. Uh, the question is, can you control it? No. Do you know when the second coming is? No. So what can you do? Nothing, nothing. Then be prepared and take care of your family. Uh, and and stop worrying about when the last day is coming. I, I got to tell you, come quickly, Lord Jesus, but uh, just not the last week of March, please, because I got a beach trip tr- planned, and would really like to take my family to the beach. We're all looking forward to going to the beach for a week. Um, so, so if you're coming, just wait till Easter. And that reminds me, uh, as a housekeeping note, before we move on to other stuff, every year I do a Good Friday program. We will do it this year on this program. And if your church has music that you put out on Apple Music or Spotify, and you want me to consider working it into the Good Friday show, uh, let me know. Send me a note. Uh, Email me, Eric, E R I C K, at the resurgent.com. Now, the reason I do this is it's important to me. It may not be to you. Actually, when I started in radio, every job I ever had, uh, I had taken off Good Friday. And when I worked in radio, Good Friday was not a holiday at, at the radio company. I thought, well, this is ridiculous. If they're going to make me work on Good Friday, I'm going to do a show about good friday. and And whether you uh, accept in the the historicity of of Jesus or his resurrection, most people at least accept the guy existed in in surveys even of atheist academics globally, Uh, The crucifixion of Christ, that is what we recognize as Good Friday, is listed as if not the most important event in human history in the top five. Most historians list... Uh, the death of a man named Jesus as the most important event in human history, uh, and because it fundamentally changed the course of human history, what happened thereafter. And if it is an event considered the most important or one of the most important events in human history, then uh, by God, we should spend a little bit of time dwelling on its meaning. And in doing that, you know, if you listen to this program regularly, I never play music that has lyrics. I don't like to talk over people singing. And so we work very hard to make sure that all the bumper music for the show doesn't have lyrics in it. Uh, But on Good Friday, much like at Christmas, uh, we try to incorporate good uh, songs related to the season. And I try to highlight local Georgia groups, churches, and elsewhere that have music. Obviously, Andrew Peterson's Behold the Lamb will be in there. But if your church has some and you want me to at least consider it, uh, send it to me, uh, eric at theresurgent.com. Remember, it's E-R-I-C-K. Now, I want to move on to other stuff when we come back as well. Uh, There is a war, believe it or not, on the family on the left that's starting to take up. And the president is trying to make inroads into the black community. He's getting blasted for only doing it in 15 cities. But I think the Democrats are missing the point on this. And I want to talk about the president's strategy when we come back. I want to take a quick time out to thank uh sponsor this week. And I got to tell you, I'm a fan because of what Blue Vine does, being a small business owner. You know, so the radio show, you're listening to my podcast, it is of my morning radio show. You know, I don't even make a salary off this thing. I'm still trying to grow advertisers. And so thanks to Blue Vine for that, but it's a small business. And I've got other people to that I've got to pay on payroll. I've got expenses I've got to meet for satellite and costs uh, for distribution, editing, production, things like that. So I, I'm not actually making a salary on any of this stuff. Uh, as a result, I am a small business uh, looking to grow, looking for advertisers, and I understand what it means to reinvest. I also know what it means to need access to capital. And running a business, I mean, it is a challenge. Securing extra cash flow doesn't have to be a challenge. Bluevine helps you get a line of credit. It's fast. It's easy. It's simple. There are so many headaches in running a business. Uh, you shouldn't have to worry about stuff like that. Bluevine's actually an easy, fast way to help support your business growth with a line of credit up to $250,000. Whether you need the money to offset up front costs, secure inventory, pay an unexpected expense, through BlueVine you can help yourself and your business stay secure for any reason. There's no fee to set up your line of credit. BlueVine never charges maintenance or prepayment fees. Applying is very easy. You just go to getbluevine.com Eric. For listeners of the Eric Erickson Show, BlueVine is offering a special limited time promotion, gift card when you take out a loan or open a line of credit with BlueVine. You go to getbluevine.com slash Eric, E-R-I-C-K for more details. All you have to do is go to getbluevine.com slash Eric and apply. It's quick. It's easy. It's a meaningful way to help your business in as little as 24 hours. The promotional offer, it's subject to terms and conditions. You can find those at getbluevine.com slash Eric. And thank you to BlueVine for sponsoring the show. Why, hello, it is Eric Erickson here, The Eric Erickson Show. If you want to be a part of the program, the number is 877-97-ERIC, 877-973-7425. Again, if you text the word DATA, To 33777. I will send you back a link to the Johns Hopkins University dashboard uh, that is in live time tracking the coronavirus outbreak around the world. It pulls in data from the CDC, the World Health Organization uh, and others uh, updating per hour. Here we go. 82,549 confirmed cases, 2,810 deaths, 33,252 recovered. Uh, I see a woman who is in Georgia on Twitter and is getting all sorts of circulation within Georgia. A woman saying her husband went to the doctor and the doctor said it's no big deal they're just using this to get Trump it's nothing worse than the flu Uh, that is not true and and please do understand this Uh, be at least be informed so that you can educate your um, so that you can educate your pool of friends the coronavirus COVID-19 has a mortality rate 20 times higher than the flu let me say that again so that you understand it the COVID 19 coronavirus that we're dealing with globally has a mortality rate, has a rate of death that is 20 times higher than the seasonal flu. Please, please understand that because you're going to start hearing this and i made the mistake earlier this week because the initial signs were that it was uh only as bad as the seasonal flu and it turns out it's much worse than that now in the grand scheme of things it only amounts to about uh, between two and four percent mortality rate the problem is the older you get the more likely you are uh, to die of it if you get it. Uh, there is a, a 15% overall mortality rate among people over the age of 65. And among the people who are over the age of 65 and hospitalized because of it, there's a 50% mortality rate. One out of every two people in general who are hospitalized with the coronavirus will die. It is a, it is a dangerous disease. There is still a lot of about it we don't know. One of the things that makes it dangerous is that it survives outside the body for way longer than the seasonal flu. With the seasonal flu, uh, someone can leave an area and within 15 minutes of the person departing, the flu virus has died. Uh, if you're not in the area, uh, you for 15 minutes, people can still get infected if you sneezed or coughed and expelled particles from your body. With the, this COVID-19 coronavirus, it's 24 hours. And part of the issue here is supply chain stuff as well that's starting to freak people out. If you can get stuff over from China in less than 24 hours, and the person who manufactured had the coronavirus, the coronavirus is living on the container, and that's what has people concerned. Uh, there is also concern about the high rate of infection, uh, and now we have a case of someone in uh, California who apparently came into contact with people in the quarantine facility in in Taylor, California. And they are uh, potentially getting the coronavirus. So that's your data. Stop saying and and stop believing the people who say it's no worse than influenza. And I realize you don't want people to panic, but you also want to be truthful. And so of all things, the Gospel Coalition website, uh, the Gospel Coalition website actually wrote a big article on, on how Christians should approach The coronavirus. Now, it's not in-time stuff. Uh, There's no reason to get into the in-time stuff. There's no reason to get into the eschatology of it. Whether you're a a premillennial, amillennial, postmillennial, it doesn't matter. Uh, Jesus isn't coming back tomorrow. Uh, I, I know Jesus isn't coming back tomorrow. Will he come back in my lifetime? Maybe so. Is he coming back tomorrow? No, he's not coming back tomorrow. How can you be sure? It's like a thief of the night. Because one of the prophecies to be fulfilled before Jesus comes back is to spread the gospel into all the nations. And we haven't done that yet. You got to do that yet. If you go to the Museum of the Bible in, in Washington, D.C., there's a big wall that lists all the places the gospel has not yet been spread. And it shrinks on a weekly basis, but it's still not shrunk completely. It's still not gone. Uh, there are languages and people who have not yet come into contact with the gospel until that happens according to scripture jesus can't come back so he's not coming back tomorrow he's not coming back next month so relax but please please we don't want to scare people but at the same time we want to be honest and that was the point of the gospel coalition article is there's a lot of stuff you read on the internet and it's simply not true And at a time like this where facts really do matter and people really are scared, uh, you have an obligation. We all have an obligation. I have an obligation to speak to you as truthfully as possible and to be very, very careful and discerning with what I tell you is fact and what I believe to be fact but I'm not sure of. And that is called opinion. And that is called we think or speculation, informed speculation. You can do that. Uh, But there are facts And the facts are that this virus uh, is more easily contracted than the flu and is more deadly than the flu. It is a fact that it is not as deadly as SARS and MERS, uh, two other coronaviruses. It is speculation with some informed, uh, informed study that people can be told they are rid of the virus only to have it come back. That is a problem as well. Um, All of that being said, there's no reason to panic about this. It is not in your community. It may come to your community. And what do you do? Wash your hands regularly, use hand sanitizer, and stay out of crowds. If it means don't go to church for a couple of weeks because people in your community are sick, don't go to church for a couple of weeks. Uh, You know they've had this big explosion in South Korea over the coronavirus because a woman who went to Wuhan went home and went to her church in South Korea and got everybody in her church sick. I'm not telling you stay out of the... Um, I, I'm not telling you to stay out of the church. What I am telling you is if the coronavirus does start to have a national outbreak, then stay out of church, stay out of sporting events, stay, stay out of concerts, uh, stay out of movie theaters. Uh, this will have an impact. Now, the question is, in large part is are people going to blame the president for it? And there are several friends of mine who work in the government level in healthcare, and they tell me that uh, the CDC has been on this for months that a lot of the reporting on what the CDC is or is not doing uh, isn't really accurate because so much of what the CDC does is behind the scenes and confidential, and they haven't gone into the details. And that while they are very concerned about it and they do believe it will spread, they do have confidence in our systems. And frankly, not only do they have confidence in our healthcare system, they have confidence in the ability of the American private sector to get things done with the government and the private sector working hand in hand. And I suspect we're probably going to start seeing some government incentives for the private sector companies to get out there. And frankly, if the private sector companies have an incentive to make money by coming up with a vaccine for this, we're going to get one and it's going to be worthwhile and good. So we should be applauding our private sector, not just our government to find a solution. You know, it is one of the perverse things for all the Democratic freak out over Bernie Sanders. For all of the Democrats coming out and saying, we got to stop Sanders, the country's not ready for socialism, the Democrats as a whole are fixated on, uh, on the nation and on the government and the role of government as opposed to uh, what can actually be done in the private sector. You know, it, just listen to this Elizabeth Warren thing. They had a town hall with her in South Carolina. Well, the thing she praises the president about.
4: Earlier this month, the Trump administration's uh, policy that banned many-flavored um, uh, e-cigarettes uh-huh. went into effect does president trump deserve some credit for that Uh,
6: actually yes and uh uh the um uh the head of fda who did this i spoke to him many times and said i would support him if he did this look when we see movement in the right direction we have to be willing to stand up and say good
0: that's her praise for the president, banning e-cigarettes. It turns out there's a story in Vice, uh, which is is on the left side of the spectrum, but it, it's a pretty credible report that a lot of the data that led the government to ban e-cigarettes was overblown, overhyped stuff. I, I, and I just, again, if we're not going to ban cigarettes, why ban the vape stuff? And, and it's ridiculous. I, I think you look silly when you do it. I, I wouldn't do it. Um, but this whole moral panic over it was crazy, uh, and yet again we're we're looking at government solutions here, and and the media is, is bad. By the way, this reminds me. This is completely unrelated to coronavirus. It is related to Elizabeth Warren. Have y'all seen that or heard the audio of the Navy veteran who questioned uh, Elizabeth Warren on the fairness of paying off student loans? Listen to this.
1: Uh, I would like you to uh, justify the fairness of your proposed policy to cancel student loan debt. Um, Nobody forced these students to take out the loans, so should it not be their responsibility to pay them back? Why am I, a taxpayer who joined the military to pay for my college education, uh, start paying for other people's college education, and to that extent, should you cancel my mortgage debt?
0: She really didn't have a good answer, by the way. There's not even a reason to play her answer. It's the, you know, when you were in college, you took a way out and some people just can't do it. And we need to help those people. Uh, why not have help those people get a job by supporting the private sector? They don't want to do that. They don't want to do that. Uh, meanwhile, I, I do want to get into some of the presidential stuff, but I, I got to play this for you. You know, I, it, I had a caller yesterday on the program said, how can I say Joe Biden's a good man because he supports abortion? And my response to him is that, uh, you know, there's a difference between talking about someone as morally good and someone is civically good. I have friends of mine who support abortion rights and I disagree with them. And I think abortion not only is evil, that it's actually killing kids. In this country, it's legal, whether I like it or not. I don't think it should be, but it is. And if I can't be a friend with someone because I disagree with them on a policy position, well, that certainly narrows my pool of friends when half the country supports abortion rights. Uh, On top of that, everyone's a sinner. And if I can't be friends with a sinner because you don't like their sin, uh, that certainly limits my ability to try to persuade someone to repent. You're supposed to be friends with people with whom you disagree on these things and there are a whole lot of people who say oh my goodness um you, you can't be friends with this guy because he's terrible on abortion oh yeah he's terrible on abortion he's genuinely terrible on abortion and he used to be good on abortion and he flipped opportunistically but i want to play this audio from joe biden a pastor asks him about his faith and about his son who died and if this is the joe biden you got on the campaign trail he'd be a formidable opponent
6: reverend uh I kind of know what it's like to lose a family. And uh, my heart goes out to you. If you may remember, after Barack and Michelle and I were there, my family, I came back on that Sunday, the regular service, because I just lost my son. And um, I wanted some hope, because what you all did was astounding. I don't know if you all know this. All those who died were killed by this white supremacist. They forgave him. They forgave him. The ultimate act of Christian charity. They forgave him. And you know, Reverend, um, I'm not proselytizing. I happen to be a practicing Catholic. But I went back to the church because I found particularly the black church. In this case, it was A.M.E. It was not. An Episcopal Church. I found that um, there's that famous phrase from Kierkegaard: "Faith sees best in the dark." I find the one thing it gives me, and I'm not trying to proselytize. I'm not trying to convince you to be, to share my religious views. But for me, it's important because it gives me some reason to have hope and purpose. I've learned the only way, I don't know how you've dealt with it, Reverend, but the way I've been able to deal with when my wife was killed and my daughter were killed and then my son died, I, 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 I've I, only been able to deal with it by realizing they're part of my being. My son, Bo, is my soul. And, uh, and what I found was, I had to find purpose, purpose. And what was the purpose Every day I get up, and I, I'm sorry to go on, I apologize, but every day I get up, I literally, and not a joke, Reverend, and I think you know this about my boy, that I ask myself, I hope he's proud of me.
0: That's a powerful answer from a father who lost his son. That Joe Biden on the campaign trail would be a formidable Joe Biden. We just haven't seen that Joe Biden on the campaign trail. Uh, he may get a shot, though. He's skyrocketing in the polls in South Carolina. That could give him a chance to be the guy to stop Bernie Sanders. I just had a progressive activist on Twitter get mad at me saying that a pandemic, a pandemic is coming and we can't believe the president. Uh, why am I dividing people? Why can't you believe the president of the United States? Because he's a liar. He lies
1: about everything.
0: So he, he, the president does a press conference last night, and he brings all the major players who were involved, and they all talk about it. And somehow we can't believe any of it because the president was there. It's just, it's bizarre. Uh, I want to play this audio. This is from Phil Rucker, who is a a Washington Post reporter, not exactly Trump-friendly by any way, shape, or form. Very friendly to Democrats, but listen to this. Make predictions, Nicole, and and we're going to see for ourselves in a couple hours here, but you're certainly right about the pattern here. This is a president who looks inward, who who tries to cut out uh, foreigners, has repeatedly tried to shut the border. Uh, he, He passed that travel ban. of course early on in the first few days uh, of his presidency and you know i don't know what's going to come over the next few days in terms of the decisions that he might be making but his instinct in moments like this is to is to look inward to protect uh, americans as opposed to reaching outward and having a more internationalist response like the kind we saw uh, from the obama administration during ebola there's a lot to unpackage in this comment but so the is it's somehow bad that the president's first reaction will be to reach inward to protect Americans that that's bad as opposed to an internationalist response you know the the CDC will coordinate the the centers for disease control will coordinate with global agencies. You know, China also has a CDC, a Centers for Disease Control. That's actually its name, Uh, the Chinese Center for Disease Control and Prevention, which is the same name as the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, headquartered here in Atlanta, no less. And there will be a global response, and the president will rally resources. But why why should we worry about whether the president's going to be interested in protecting people globally as Uh, Opposed to protecting Americans. I I, I don't recall other countries electing the president of the United States. It seems to me that it would be good for us if the president focuses on saving American lives. And yet somehow or another, the media wants to treat that badly. The man can't win with the media. He cannot win with the media. And that's unfortunate. Um, it, it, it's unfortunate that we've reached a point here um, where where we, we've got, though, it's just it's it's silly, silly, silly stuff. Um, I, I want to pivot real quick away from all of this to something local here in Georgia, because I mentioned it the other day and someone asked why I haven't sent an action or out yet. And it's Senate Bill 357. Uh, Senate Bill 357 is the Bill Heath legislation on guns in churches. Uh, and I mentioned that right now churches have a, a under the law, there's an all or nothing approach. Either everyone can have guns or no one can have guns in churches. And Heath's legislation would allow churches to designate uh, groups of people within churches who can have guns, as opposed to saying everyone can. And uh, Georgia Carey has actually come out in opposition to the legislation. And Georgia Carey is a very responsible good gun group here in the state of georgia and when they say not to support a bill i tend to listen to them and having talked about the legislation i wanted to get uh jerry henry from jo- uh from George carry on with me to talk about it we're working on getting that scheduled and i don't want to do an action alert for a piece of legislation uh, until i can get george gary to give their position on it and and decide whether or not it's good right now the legislation is held up Um, Also, uh, there is legislation on the film tax credit moving forward. If you'll recall, there was a big audit done that showed that a lot of the movies that are filmed in Georgia are getting these huge tax credits. And a lot of the tax credit that they're getting is for work that was never even done in Georgia for people not even hired in Georgia. There's legislation pending now in the legislature to require that every movie that wants a tax credit go through an audit process to make sure most states actually have this process. Georgia is one of the very few that does It does not cap the film tax credit. It would allow the tax credit to continue to grow. But it would certainly curtail uh, a bunch of tax credits for work not done in Georgia. If you'll recall, the Georgia Department of Audits uh, looked through a bunch of films that were getting tax credits and found a massive number of them getting credits for work not done in Georgia and, and getting essentially money from the state. Plus, a lot of them, they don't even have headquarters in the state. They don't use the tax credit. They get it. They don't use it. They sell it to others who use it. And so the tax credit isn't actually going to help the film industry. It's going to help other businesses. Uh, so some of this will be tweaking it looks like this this has some support Uh, we may be able to get there when we come back though I want to move on to some of the raw politics out there today of of Bloomberg Democrats starting to realize he's not doing as well as he probably could do and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is out defending the Green New Deal I got some amazing audio to play you when we come back it is thirty-five after the hour. I am Eric Erickson and I will take your phone calls if you want to call in eight seven seven nine seven Eric eight seven seven nine seven three seven four two five. I gotta there's there's Democrats are starting to notice Mike Bloomberg is not doing as well as a lot of people expected him to. Uh, here is the headline from Politico. Bloomberg tumbles heading into Super Tuesday. Sources close to Bloomberg's campaign acknowledge his polls are not looking good. The Mike Bloomberg bubble has burst, according to Christopher uh, Ked Lago and Sally Goldenberg at Politico, after a steady weeks-long climb in national polls. Fueled by extravagant spending on ads, staff, and events, Bloomberg's presidential campaign has plateaued. The abrupt reversal of fortune triggered by his disastrous debate performance in Las Vegas has tarnished the former New York City mayor Sheen and injected uncertainty about whether he will rack up enough delegates on Super Tuesday to keep his campaign alive. His national debate debut in Las Vegas last week laid bare his vulnerabilities around race and gender and gave many voters their first glimpse of his irritability. The performance short-circuited his rise in polling. He's since made no headway against front-runner Bernie Sanders in Delegate Rich, California, a state he was counting on. In addition, there are signs of a revival for Joe Biden in South Carolina this weekend, an outcome that would upset Bloomberg's plan to seize on his demise as moderate search for a replacement. Bloomberg, who spent months ignoring his Democratic opponents and focusing his firepower on Donald Trump is still counting on a big delegate haul next week. But several sources close to and involved in the campaign have acknowledged concerns about his recent internal and public polling. They said they were relieved by Bloomberg's improved debate performance in South Carolina on Tuesday night, including his opening attacks on Sanders and his handling of a repeated grilling from Elizabeth Warren on the, his private company's treatment of women. But... It may not be enough. And now he's got to contend with the China matter. Sanders has been attacked uh, just ruthlessly by the Democrats for saying nice things about Cuba. And now Bloomberg is being attacked on the China issue. Interestingly enough, I do find it notable that the Democrats are more angry at Donald Trump over the coronavirus than they are China. But here's Bloomberg talking to defending his position on China.
1: Just to follow up, last night, you were criticized by someone on the stage. I'm uh, shocked. I was criticized. Yeah, yeah, I, so it seemed that you might have noticed um, that by, because you had said that the Chinese leader is not a dictator. Do you stand by that? that well, he's it's not a, a
3: question dictator? of what you did. What is what is a dictator? They don't have democratic a democracy in the sense that they have general elections. That is true. They do have a system where a small group of people appoint the uh, the head. And they churn over periodically. If you go back and look at the last two or three decades, there have been a number of people that have had the same position that Xi Jinping has.
0: Um, And and the leader then appoints the people and the leader steps down when, I mean, Bloomberg's unwilling, you know, the Soviet Union did the same thing. And, you know, there's a great follow up question for Mike Bloomberg there on if if China is if the Chinese leader isn't a dictator, was the Soviet leader a dictator? And if this because they did the same thing is Fidel was Fidel Castro technically a dictator because there was a Politburo in Cuba that kept propping up Fidel Castro that operated in the same way as the, as the Chinese system. It's it's mind numbing to me that Bloomberg is getting away with this, but it looks like it's not going to matter. It looks like his campaign is going to despite spending more money than all the other candidates combined. Money is not buying Bloomberg's way in because it turns out he's fundamentally terrible at the showbiz of politics. Now, related to all this. Standing in the corner, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Democrats in New York are beginning to talk about uh, redrawing her congressional district uh, after 2020 to cause her to lose. They are mad at her for siding with progressive candidates across the nation, potentially costing Democrats some seats with moderates. Uh, it, our, our friends at Grabian have put together this supercut of her explaining uh, how the Green New Deal is good for the environment. This is something Elizabeth Ward and Bernie Sanders are coming out and championing.
5: As we've discussed the Green New Deal, I've noticed that there's been an awful lot of misinformation. So I have decided that since my colleagues could not for some reason read the resolution that perhaps this hour would be spent best reading it to them providing resources training and high quality education including higher education to all people of the united states and ensure prosperity and economic security for all people in the united states ensuring a commercial environment where every business person is free from unfair competition and domination by domestic or international monopolies guaranteeing universal access to clean water strengthening and protecting the right of All workers to organize, unionize, and collectively bargain free of coercion, intimidation, and harassment. Building a more sustainable food system that ensures universal access to healthy food. Meeting 100% of the power demand in the United States through clean, renewable, and zero emission energy sources and ensuring affordable access to electricity. Guaranteeing a job with a family sustaining wage, adequate family and medical leave, paid vacations, and retirement security to all people of the United States. Promote justice and equity by stopping current, preventing future, and repairing historic oppression of indigenous peoples, communities of color, migrant communities, deindustrialized communities, depopulated rural communities.
0: My head hurts listening to this. I apologize.
5: The poor, low-income workers, women, the elderly the unhoused people with disabilities upgrading all existing buildings in the united states and building new buildings to achieve maximum energy efficiency water efficiency safety affordability comfort and durability including through electrification by supporting family farming and oh providing all people of the united states with high-quality health care, affordable, safe, and adequate housing, economic security, and clean water, clean air, healthy and affordable food, and access to nature. I humbly ask our country to care for our planet. Thank you very much, and I yield.
0: You may be thinking, what the hell did I just listen to? I'm thinking the same thing. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. So the Green New, De- the Green New Deal is, is, it's like, it's utopia. It solves all problems. Do you have ED? Men who suffer from ED could use the Green New Deal. The Green New Deal, men, it'll firm you up just like it firms up Mother Earth do you suffer from psoriasis and eczema if you do try the green new deal a salve that will heal your skin just as it heals the planet do you suffer from heartburn why you should try the green new deal eating your veggies in the green new deal you'll shut up and like it i isn't you know, we're gonna have to do more of the deep thoughts. You know, we, we do. You remember Saturday Night Live, and we don't play them enough. I, I I need to do a better job of playing them. But but she's been out of the news for a while. Uh, but they used to have on Saturday Night Live. Maybe they still do. I hadn't seen them in a while though on there. Jack Handy and, and Deep Thoughts by Jack Handy. And and Charlie, my producer, got a great idea a while back. What well, we should do this uh, for Alexandria Ocasio Cortez and and do these deep thoughts, uh, the things she actually says, these are her actual words, the actual words from Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez.
4: And now, Deep Thoughts by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez.
2: And this idea that if we just, you know, I've been working on this for X amount of years, it's like... Not good enough. Like, we need a universal sense of urgency, and people are trying to, like, introduce watered-down proposals that are, frankly, going to kill
0: us.
4: That was Deep Thoughts by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez.
0: Those are her actual words. Now, we didn't use her voice there. Uh, we used a, a friend's – that's her – that's what she believes, and, and she believes this stuff, and Bernie Sanders believes this stuff, and they want to set public policy on, on their mythology, uh, on their religious worldview about the Green New Deal of of, of Mother Gia. The The whole thing is bizarre. The whole thing is bizarre and by the way do you know so so I'm on this email chain and there are a number of people who work in in uh, lead buildings government lead buildings they're environmentally friendly buildings you have different standards platinum gold and silver and one of the things is you can't get hot water the, the water never gets hot enough and they're worried about uh, the, the the environmental efficacy of hot water and and, and lukewarm water and dealing with the coronavirus when you wash your hands now it, it, doctors will tell you as long as you wash with with soap you're okay um, but there's something to be said for hot water it's Much like you remember the big outbreak in New York City of bed bugs. It became a thing. There were hotel chains in Atlanta, uh, prominent hotel chains in Atlanta, that had bed bugs. And do you know why uh, there were so many bed bugs showing up and why there was a spread? Well, it turns out that to, to be environmentally friendly, hotels had stopped washing the bed sheets in hot water. They were washing the bed sheets in uh, lukewarm to cold water, and they weren't killing the eggs of the bed bugs. So people, were you were making the bed, and, and the 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 hatchlings were alive. This is horrific to think about. Uh, hot water actually was was helping, and when the hotels got rid of it, you saw the bed bug uh, explosion happen in these fancy hotels. And they've gone back to washing in hot water and environmental is hated, and, and they say it's energy inefficient and it drives up costs, but it saves the customer from having bed bugs. A lot of the ideas of this stuff, it's a jobs program, it's a healthcare program, it is everything under the sun. Oh, and by the way, it will supposedly save planet Earth. That that's what these people think. It's it's I'm. it befuddles me the religious fervor of these people over the Green New Deal. And and you've got Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders out on the campaign trail championing this stuff. Well, Mitch McConnell is speaking out about it. Whether it's Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, or somebody else, the nominee for president
3: on the Democratic side is going to be on a path to try to turn America into a socialist country. We're not going to let that happen. Donald Trump's still in the White House, and as long as I'm majority leader of the Senate, I get to set the agenda. That's why I call myself the Grim Reaper, We will not have the Green New Deal and we'll not have Medicare for none as long as I'm majority leader of the Senate.
0: (laughs) Medicare for none and the Green New Deal we will not have as long as he's the majority leader in the Senate. By the way, Nancy Pelosi is responding today uh, saying that the reason Mitch McConnell is actually the Grim Reaper is because of all the people who are going to die by him not passing gun control legislation. I kid you not. Um, Oh, interestingly enough, huh. There's a study, uh, this this is, um, oh, interesting, this could affect Joe Joe Biden, Um, that there may be more white voters in South Carolina than black voters. Uh, There's been a thinking that the black vote in South Carolina would be over 50%, uh, and that would help Joe Biden, but it looks like actually you may have majority white voter turnout, and the Biden team says it's no big deal. That would help Uh, Joe Biden, the white voters coming out and helping him stopping Bernie Sanders. But uh, there are a lot of people on the outside looking at it thinking, no, actually, an overwhelming white voter turnout would probably be coming out for uh, for Bernie Sanders. I I look so I'm, I'm I do several newspaper columns a week. I've got one in the Macon Telegraph uh down in Macon and I uh, it's my deadline is Friday I already wrote it and submitted it my deadline is Friday the South Carolina primary is Saturday and the column comes out on Sunday and so I wrote it and said hey uh my deadline is is before the race the column comes out after the race and I'm going to speculate here based on the polling Joe Biden's going to win the question is by how much if he wins big he has the potential to stop Bernie Sanders if it is close uh Sanders remains the front runner and the Democrats remain on panel and Mike Bloomberg winds up helping Bernie Sanders become the nominee. But we none of us really honestly know how any of this is going to play out. We we don't really know. We're hoping we're hoping on the Republican side that Bernie Sanders becomes the Democratic nominee. On the left, they're really hoping Bernie Sanders becomes nominee. But among mainstream Democrats, they're really hoping South Carolina, Joe Biden rebounds. And if Joe Biden rebounds in South Carolina, you are going to see the fury of the Democrats coming after Mike Bloomberg to get out immediately. Ironically, you know, if Mike Bloomberg stays in and just doesn't campaign, he could continue to run attack ads on Donald Trump or Bernie Sanders and get a discount rate. You know, under federal law, you can't stop. Your local station, in fact, I've gotten some angry people uh, on this show in my evening show upset that local stations are running Mike Bloomberg commercials. Local conservative talk stations are running Mike Bloomberg commercials. I don't know if you know this or not. It's against federal law for a local radio station to say no. If you're a local radio station broadcasting on terrestrial airways, you are prohibited by law from declining to run a presidential campaign advertisement. You, you can't turn them down. So if Mike Bloomberg wants to run ads on a conservative talk station, Mike Bloomberg gets to run ads on a conservative talk station and gets to do so at a discounted rate if he's running them within 60 days of the election. So not only are you not allowed to stop him from running ads, you have to give him the lowest possible rate on your station to do so. And you get in trouble if you don't. So don't be mad at your local radio station when you hear the Mike Bloomberg ad. If Mike Bloomberg stays in the race, ironically, he'll be able to spend his money attacking Bernie Sanders without ever promoting himself. And there there are some people who want him to do that. But more and more people are thinking as long as he really stays in, it's going to hurt Joe Biden and help Bernie Sanders. So maybe we need to get him out. It is very possible the Democrats will rally in time to stop Bernie Sanders. It's possible. Not saying they're going to do it. But it's looking like they figured out way before the Republicans did in 2016 about Trump. The Democrats have figured out now that they got to stop Sanders ASAP. Honest news and conservative views never separated from the truth.
1: It's the Eric Erickson Show.
0: Hello there. Uh, the phone number here. Well, no big deal. You, you don't want to. We don't want to do the firm. We don't want to do it because it's we're closing up shop here in about five minutes, uh, as you move on to other stuff for the day, uh, just a reminder though, before I do move on, cause I other, I got other stuff to talk about, but I want to, uh, tell you again, if you text the word data to three, three, seven, 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 you will be able to keep track of the, uh, data from Johns Hopkins university. They've got a great visual dashboard and heat map of where the, Um, outbreaks are occurring around the world uh, how many cases there are the fatality rate the the recovery rate all that text data to 33777 uh, and you'll get it It, 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 I love these visual uh, uh, these visual dashboards and, and people with a lot of great data analysis do this and I I really can't uh, tell you enough that they're worth looking at, uh, and so again, if I go to the if I go to the visual dashboard from Johns Hopkins University, and again, text data to three three seven seven seven, they keep the the running number updated. Uh, they do it on a daily basis. They actually updated it this morning after I got on the show and up the number of confirmed cases right now 82,549 confirmed cases of the COVID-19 coronavirus 2,810 deaths 33,252 recovered people uh, one of the talking points that circulated on social media is that it is no no worse than the flu Relax people. It's no worse than the flu. Uh, Actually, there's plenty of data out there now to show that it is worse than the flu in terms of mortality rate and in contraction rate. Highly, highly infectious and uh, about 20 times more deadly than the flu based on what we know right now. Part of the thing with the flu, you, you got to remember that when you look at the flu, and says 2% mortality rate. That's actually uh, 2% of people who are infected and go to the hospital. The overall rate, because a lot of people get the flu and they just don't go to work for a few days and they recover. It's about uh, 12 tenths of a percent. The coronavirus rate is up to 4% in some areas. The, the average appears to be about 3%, which doesn't sound like a lot, but that's actually a lot of people. Uh, people are beginning to compare this to the Spanish flu outbreak uh, during World War One. So keep your wits about you. There's, there's no reason to panic about it. I, I do at the end, just because I've been chuckling about this video all day. Anyone who knows the president, I played this in the first hour. If anyone who knows the president of the United States knows he's a terrible germaphobe, uh, they keep uh, hand sanitizer near him at all times. Uh, I, I, I've i interacted with him before. He doesn't like to shake hands. He definitely doesn't like to be hugged by people. And here he is talking uh, about a recent incident.
2: Any of their, be- of their behaviors? No, I think you have to always... I do it a lot anyway, as you probably heard, wash your hands, stay clean, you don't have to necessarily grab every handrail unless you have to, you know, you do certain things that you do when you have the flu, I mean, view this the same as the flu, when somebody sneezes, I mean, I try and bail out as much as possible with the sneezing, I had a man come up to me a week ago, I hadn't seen him in a long time, and... And I said, how are you doing? He said, fine, fine. He hugs me, kisses me. I said, are you well? He says, no. <laughs> he said, I have the worst fever and the worst flu. And he's hugging and kissing me. So I said, excuse me, I went there, I started washing my hands. So you have to do that. You know, this is, I I really think, doctor, you want to treat this like you treat the flu, right? And, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be.
0: Now, just there's there's a side point here. We're hearing all of this about, oh, the president's a liar. We can't believe he's got the doctors there. He's referring to the doctors. Can we not believe the doctors? Trump derangement syndrome breaks people.